West Side Story. This is post episode seven, and oh, South Africans telling everybody what they really think, <laughs> and an episode where a lot of secrets are out. This week we've got Mark Beasley. Mark Beasley has been the producer of this, and this is probably the most solid connection uh, between Outrageous Fortune and this, which is the prequel. West Side Story. Mark, thanks for being with us. My pleasure, Graham. You're the boss dude, really, aren't you? Yeah. Uh, and I'm, you look like a wizard. Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do. I look like... Um, uh, well, once I was a wizard, now I'm more of a tramp. Yeah. You know, it only takes a couple of years for that to turn from one thing to another. So. Well, is it like a wizard who's out of work? Yeah. Turn your hand to producing television. But really, a producer, this is just a word to most people in viewer land what does a producer do i knew you'd ask that a, a producer uh, is like the the captain of the ship right. um, uh, in general terms a producer will hire the cast hire the crew sometimes even hire the writers hire the directors um, with a vision to mounting an entertainment that they're excited by mm. so it's pulling together all those people I didn't do all of that on Westside. I, I was joined with by writers and, and, and other people who also cast it. Mm. But in the day-to-day running of the show, I'm keeping an eye on all those things, helping those people to all do their best work. Okay, you've got somebody to help cast, though, right? It's, you kind of alluded to there. Yeah. Yeah. But well, you everyone... keep an eye on it, and you, you basically say, yeah, yay, nay, or tell me why you think this person's good. I'm one of those voices. I have to say, uh, James and, and Rachel, who created the series, they had a big say in the casting of the yeah. original cast for Westside, and of course for Outrageous Fortune. One of, the, one of the things we got right back in the day on Outrageous Fortune was that fantastic cast. And I think they've done it again with Westside. Yeah. And I think the, 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 the listeners will agree... Um, it's a phenomenal combination of, of talent. And if you get that right, you've got this little X factor going on yeah. uh, in a show where the, nobody drops the ball and every character that shows up, mm. you want to see more of them. Yeah. I know you can't play favourites, but damn, I love the casting of... Oh, I actually like Sparky. And <laughs> I like... <laughs> Which Sparky? Well, Wolf's good. And... Wolf's great. Nairi. What a character. Well, episode this episode, yeah. episode seven, Esther Stevens does such a fantastic job in this episode that you're watching her performance. This is the scene where Rita challenges her yeah. on her... Affair. Affair. And it, it's, it's spine-tingling Isn't it? Stuff. And she's been a terrific actress. She's been in other things on television. And, of course, she was in the first season of this. And she, she always did a great job as Nairi. Yeah. But, but this season, they all have a little bit more space, a little bit more story. Yeah. And so the combination of her and Antonia and, and Michael Hurst stuck in a room in West Auckland for hours filming that scene, mm. I just think it's gold. Yeah, I do too, especially in Nairi's performance. It seems effortless and that's when someone's really working quite hard i think it feels original as well yeah even though of course she is playing a character that was originally portrayed as an older woman uh by elizabeth hawthorne yeah. back in outrageous fortune but in this season all of those actors in west side none of them are doing impersonations mm. of what other actors have done 
So you mentioned Sparky. Mm. He's doing a fantastic job. It's yeah. different from what John did back in um, Outrageous Fortune, but it's the same character. Yeah. And Esther, uh, bless her, I just uh, she just blew me away yeah. this episode. Hard to say that because, of course, there's lots of great performances. Oh, no, you, it's hard of you to play favourites. So I just stood out for me, so damn it, I'm going to say I try it. to be equally hard on all of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, you'd have to have a say as well in portrayal for consistency's sake between the strong connection between Outrageous Fortune and Westside. Of course they're connected. It's the same world. Uh, Westside is an earlier iteration of that world, but all the, the customs and the culture and the manners and the fashions and their desires are absolutely linked between yeah. those two. And I think, once again, Outrageous has stood the test of time, and, and Westside, I think, will do the same, because you go into a family and you can recognise them. You recognise your own family, yeah. whether you're a Westie or not. There's an attention to detail from that cast and from the writers and directors that goes even so far as who sits where when they sit down to yeah. dinner. Yeah. Um, and I know with Outrageous, right at the very beginning, we, we worked hard to nail that family culture. Mm. You know, reminding the actors that whatever they're saying to one of their siblings, they've said that a, a hundred thousand times mm. before. Mm. No matter how dramatic, you're always fighting with your siblings. That same uh, sort of logic has, has um, bled into Westside. So it's trying to portray something that's authentic in a world that is completely fictioned. I mean, it's a bunch of actors, it's a bunch of writers. But it has a time, and it has a place, and it has a quality of family life as well. Now, those are all real things. There are real things, and our job, I, I guess, as storytellers, is to give the audience enough for them to suspend disbelief. It's yeah. the hardest, hardest thing, because we all know it's fake. We all know it's, it's actors pretending, and it's a crew of 30 standing around with microphones. But we want, as a viewer, to... Believe that the Wests are real. And if the program makers get it right, if they give the audience, um, they throw them a bone, if the performances are strong enough, we will forget that they're actors and we will believe Rita West yeah. truly exists and that kitchen is fully functional yeah. and they sleep and make love and fight in those bedrooms. And I think that's why it was so exciting coming back to that world of outrageous. It's the same house. Mm. Slightly different colour scheme, yeah. slightly different. It was like coming back to my old family home myself because we'd been away, what, 10 years? And I think for those of us that were on the original, like me and Antonio Preble and Marty Smith, the DP, um, it was a bit frightening going back right? because lightning doesn't usually strike twice. Does it just happen that you identify with the West Side time and place and social situation? Is it part of your life? doesn't yeah. have to be. Yeah, a little bit. I, I wouldn't call myself a Westie, but I, I, I was born in Oratea yeah. uh, and then moved into the Midwest. I wouldn't call myself a Westie. I was born in Oratea. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, I, I was a kid. We, okay. I, we I moved into the Midwest, uh, grew up, I guess, um, in, before school, running around the earthworks that is now St. Luke's Westfield Mall. Yeah. And so the Westie rock and roll thing, um, mm. that world was around me. Everywhere, mm. so I, I kind of totally recognised it in, in those characters uh, back in outrageous fortune days, and of course, 1981. Yes, I was there. I'm old enough to remember. Um, unlike some of the young actors who need to be reminded that you you put your finger in a dial phone and you dial it, you don't press the buttons. Oh bloody hell! Right. 
So there's a lot of things uh, some of the younger actors um, take for granted now that they, they can't get their head around a world, for instance, where there were no bank cards. Right. No, no credit cards. Right. Certainly no internet. Yeah. Um, no mobile phones. And the, oh, here's Not some... even cordless phones. Oh, that was the thing of a madman's dreams. I think there were a couple of people down in uh, Hearn Bay that might have had one. They might have. And yeah. there, there were the occasional brick. Yeah. Certainly by 981 they were starting to come. Yeah. Uh, but you tell the young people about that today, Graham, and they don't believe you. Well, here's something I bet you've done, nobody's ever going to do anymore. It's the confluence of poverty and the need to communicate. Tapping a public phone. Did you ever tap a public phone? <laughs> I, no, I, people with pre-public phones uh, won't know what we're talking I, about. I, I can't incriminate myself, but I certainly um, have benefited from those who had the <laughs> skill to do that. Uh, but the other thing is, if you went out at night drinking, uh, you didn't phone home. You didn't you know, text your parents hmm. or text your wife or your girlfriend where you were. No. No one knew where you were. No. That's totally changed now, but it's but it's. Oh God, we're caught now, aren't we? Where's where's the freedom? Mark? I'm just saying, it's only changed relatively recently, yeah. in the last ten years or so. But there's an expectation that everyone's in touch with everyone else, and it it actually does diminish some possibilities for experience. If there's no expectation for me to call somebody else to say where I'm supposed to be, you end up doing different things. Uh, that's true, but also for filmmakers, the cell phone has killed the thriller. Because everyone knows you have access to help. Back in the day, 81, we don't have that problem. Our characters can go disappear for days on end and the wives don't know where they are. Uh. And so they can leave, lead quite separate lives and keep more secrets. Whereas these days, those cell phones, they ruin suspense. Yeah. You can't have a horror film where people have got cell phones. Right, where are you? Oh, no, yeah, exactly. I'll just put, put my torch on. There's no, not even any dark spaces anymore. I'll just, I'll film it. <laughs> um, that's what I love about the, uh, the, the 80s. It's going back to the New Zealand that perhaps some people would like to go back to now. But those of us who were there under Muldoon, it wasn't that great a time. It, oh, was, it was quite bloody. a fraught time. It was bleak. It was a boring time as well. Yeah. Like there wasn't that much entertainment, which is where all this great music from, the post-punk thing. Yeah. Uh, all these uh, clubs that started up, Island of Real, where the dudes played and, and yeah, Citizen yeah. Band. Uh, and the bucket, Buckethead Nights and the things like that. Buckethead Nights. 81 just felt like a time where there was a lot of art coming out of quite a fraught political landscape. Yeah. And you're spoilt for choice for soundtrack. You can, if you get the soundtrack wrong, if you're doing something set in 81, there's something wrong with you. Oh, I would say it was that easy, Graham. I, you know, you, you've brought in a show and tell, Mark. I brought in a show and tell. As I said, the thing that's interesting about the Screaming Mimis and the Clean and the Body Electric and Dance it's and in, the Pneumatics. It's bigger than both of us. It's a Propeller Records thing, thanks to Simon Gregg. Yeah. Uh, of the era, 79 to 82. Of the era. And you look at these acts, people like Don McGlashan with Blam Blam Blam. Split Ends also had just put out uh, Corroboree, Waiata. Mm. You had the Dunedin thing happening, the Swingers yeah. just put out One Good Reason. And there's this aggression in the music. And it's it's partly coming out of the punk thing, but it's also, there were riot squads going down to shut down clubs. And this was even before the Springbok tour. Yeah. So there was a split between the, the, the state, which was seen as quite hostile to the ordinary person, 
and our artists were expressing something about that. I think James Griffin, with his, the way he's written this series with, mm. with Rachel, has tapped into that quite nicely. He was there. But the music, for me, is which I'm very proud of, is authentic to that time. I mean, we've, tr- we've tried not to put anything from 84 or 85. Yeah. The 80s are not generic. No, of They're specific. Not. And I think, yeah, I think that edge in the soundtrack gives West Side 2 its edge. Yeah, yeah. There was something quite... I think actually vicious about a lot of the music, particularly in Auckland. I know you were doing tracks from all over the country. There was an Auckland sound, and I'm thinking of Fetus Productions, Arms for Children, Herco Pilots. They like they all had the treble up and were going. Uh, yes, I guess probably mm, more amphetamines than yeah. uh, dope, maybe yeah. because a lot of music, of course, comes down to the. The chemistry within the bloodstreams of the makers. And the electricity in the air, I reckon. And the electricity in the air, mm. yeah. Um, we managed to put the clean tally-ho over the invasion of the Hamilton pitch the other week, which we thought worked really well. It wasn't James Griffin's first choice. About 50% at least of the songs that are in the show, he's written in the script. Yeah. And we try to always... And they are frequently musical puns. Sometimes they work really well. Sometimes, by the time you edit it, it's not as great. And we've sometimes moved his choices to other parts of the show. Mm. The editors are also loving that era. Right. Eric and Alana both seem to have a wonderful knowledge of that music. And so they've picked a few good tracks. I've picked the odd good one. Yeah. How much do you think overseas audience would take to this we take to overseas dramas pretty easily. It's got an international market. Of course. Uh, yeah. Well, I know it does. Yeah. I know. Um, West Side. Yeah. Uh, those who can steal it and watch it in America. Um, <laughs> so the network's dead. I wouldn't say the network's dead. It's like saying radio's dead. Yeah. Radio's not dead. Radio's everywhere. Just the audience numbers are split along a lot of operators. And I think broadcast is similar. It's still a model that that works. It's just not the only game in town, obviously. What what interesting feedback have you had from overseas people about either Outrageous or or West Side? I've just had news from somebody's dad watches it in New Orleans, maybe. Mm. Is able to get, get a feed or has stolen it from somewhere. Uh, and just thinks it's great and loves those uh, Kiwi criminals because they don't have guns. Yeah, right. And they've watched enough of it to be able to understand the accent. I think anything authentic, if we're watching an Icelandic thriller, we don't need to know much about the culture. If the the character's good, the story's good, you'll get sucked into it. And if it feels authentic. And I think Westside has that. Yeah. It does add to the perception, no matter how small that perception might be, but it adds to the perception of... What New Zealand culture is. It is. We're, we've got a big anti-authoritarian streak right down the middle of the country, yeah. which we saw the country split in two halves in 81, pro-Tor and anti-Tor. And the country is still represented in many ways by yeah. those two conflicting halves, even in the same families. I was as fearful of the police as I was of any gangs in 1981. Were you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Still am. Both, all, all yeah, yeah, yeah. You learn something, don't you, about authoritarianism, things like that. Yeah, I think people uh, just do uh, feel uh, like they're going to get uh, stopped by the police, and, and even though you've done nothing wrong, you feel guilty. But I think it's also a, a New Zealand thing. Um, I think we are quite anti-authoritarian, mm. and 
you know, Westside expresses that the, the reason New Zealanders like those criminals, because really the Wests are anti-heroes, aren't they? Mm. They're not do-gooders. No. They don't save lives. They steal. But there's a touch of the Robin Hood. There's a touch of the Robin Hood, and they're doing it their way. They won't be told what to do by anyone. Mm. Uh, they don't care what the politicians say. They're living their own lives and making their own choices their way. And I think that's the Westy way. I think that's a big part of the New Zealand character, that larrikinism. It's not meant to be dangerous, necessarily, but they're not afraid of a bit of danger. Can you think of any of the characters from West Side this season? Maybe this is a question for James, but if they did something abhorrent, it would be a really interesting piece of drama. How you would regard that character again? Oh, I think that's a question we're struggling with all the time, because we want these characters to be outrageous. To do abhorrent, abhorrent though, something we all go... <laughs> well, let me say, Lefty did rape his wife in, yes. in such a fashion that it's still rape. It would be considered rape today. It wasn't considered that in 81. You could say that's quite abhorrent. He also knocks her around. Mm. You could say that's quite abhorrent. But we kind of, once again, because Dan's doing such a great job of portraying that character, we kind of, we kind of love having a villain that close to our core car, yeah. to core characters. They're not going to do anything that abhorrent. Like, no one on Outrageous Fortune got into P. And it was a clear decision that they, they weren't going to be shooting people, they weren't going to be killing people, they weren't going to be stomping people, because tonally that's not comedy drama. That's a darker piece mm. that could still be made by someone. Yeah. But that's not really our show because we want to uh, grip people with the drama. But we also use humour as our stepping stones through their world. Mm. So it's a little bit idealised, which means we can enjoy it without feeling bad about our societies falling to pieces. That's for for someone else to make that show. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The South African stereotypes... Has anybody... Well, this goes to what I just said. Like, yeah. who are your villains? Where do we get our the villains The supporters from? of the Springbok tour that came here from South Africa. So, I guess, yep, there's an unreconstructed 80s man from the apartheid regime. Yeah. We can dump a lot of crap on those characters. And they're strong characters. We'll never feel sorry for them hearing the abuse that's hurled on them because they're quite big and tough and... They can take it, and they're rich. They're a perfect villain, perfect uh, target mm. for Ted West and his gang to steal from because you can't have them stealing from the folks down the road. or yeah. That's a problem the writers continually have. Who can the Wests commit their crimes against without us feeling they've crossed a line? Yeah, yeah. So South Africans from, not, from apartheid era, South Africa, unreconstructed, fair game. And it also takes some clever writing to allow them in the show to explain their position as they see it as well as they can and rationalise it without saying, we just hate blacks. <laughs> they rationalise. Uh, look, Patrick and Heath have done a great job of those two characters and they're, they're funny. I, I, I love them. We were worried that they would just be two-dimensional characters yeah. but in that scene where Ted is uh, discussing the whole story of the yacht and, and the money, you kind of like that South African bastard because it's the Trump factor. He's mm. telling it like he is. He's not afraid of being racist. He is racist. Yeah. Tell me what you really think, and uh, I can appreciate that, that rather than someone being duplicitous or hiding what they really think in order simply to get along or be friends. Except we know with our characters, 
they're going to pay for those opinions. Trump, I don't know whether anyone's going to make him pay, but that's, yeah. we'll find out. Yeah, we'll see. You have trouble delegating because you've got to be an overseer. Do you check yourself? I directed quite a bit of Outrageous Fortune in the first four seasons and was proud of what I achieved. And uh, when I came back to Westside, I directed the first two episodes of the first season of Westside, uh, which was a bit scary, but, you know, it was okay. But producing the second season, I had to not be the director. I couldn't tell Murray Keane or Michael Hurst how to direct it. I couldn't tell them to direct it like I would. I had to let them do that. But I think that's the job of the producer, is, is set up the conditions where Michael can do his best Murray can do his best. They're totally different approach to how they direct, mm. and they deliver different material. But it's written so well, and it's, and it's cast so well that we can embrace their differences, and it still feels like the same show. The other way to go is to stomp on their creative ideas and say, no, it has to be done this way. So I, I sort of decided to go the other way, let them have their head, knowing that if they went too far with how they shot a scene, we could maybe fix it in post. Maybe we wouldn't need to. Mm. Turns out they were great. Yeah. They don't mean need Because they know what their job is. They They're not there to suddenly say, I'm yeah. David yeah. frickin' Lynch. You've got to empower your creative people. You yeah. know, I, I have, I have uh, people in all those departments, costume, art, uh, hair, editing. They're better at what they do than I can be. I can't design it. Mm. You know, I need them to do that yeah if we're possible we let them have their head go for it yeah thanks so much we've been speaking with mark beasley producer of outrageous fortune west side and also you directed savage honeymoon you've been responsible for a, a significant chunk and a quite important chunk of new zealand culture um, accidentally yeah Hmm. It's strangely enough. Savage Honeymoon was probably the first Westie comedy drama. It didn't have any influence on Outrageous Fortune, but it is a similar world. Hard drinking, hard partying, anti-authoritarian, lovable Westies. Okay. That's my story. That's my background. Good one. Thanks heaps. Mark Beasley, appreciate it. Thanks, Graham.